Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to We Made a Beer. My name's Louise. I'm Lucy. And this is We Made a Beer, the podcast in which we, two beer novices, find out about beer by brewing it, drinking it and chatting to the experts about it. In this episode, we want to explore beers that have the luxury of something that ours don't. Time. Lots and lots of time. Not as in the herb, but as in, as Wikipedia defines it, the indefinite continued progress of existence. Deep. We want to find out what happens when beer ages in a barrel, in a bottle, or both. We want to know where the tradition of slow beer comes from, and which breweries to look out for. We also need some advice on shortcuts to help us get oaky flavours into our beer without pushing our podcasting deadline back by about a year. This week we talk about Belgian speciality beers with top Belgian beer expert, Sophie van Raffelgum. To have so many flavors in that beer, you have to give it time. It's an extra ingredient. If you take shortcuts, you will taste it. We also chat to Dougal Sharp, co-founder of Innocent Gun, a unique brewery brewing fantastic oak-aged beers on a larger scale. We're all used to drinking beer. We all know what beer tastes like, but there's just something extra that you get when you use oak barrels and you get these incredible additional flavors like vanilla and toffee. And we opened some fantastic beers that we've been ageing especially to share with our brewing mentor, Tash. It's a bit of a momentous occasion. I've never stored any alcohol before. I've always just been a just-get-it-down-me, you know? Just a drinker. (laughs) As always, we're making this podcast alongside the lovely folks at You Brew London, an open brewery where you brew the beer. Last week, we brewed a collaboration Honey Goza with Hannah Rhodes, the founder of Hiver Beers. This might just be our best beer to date. Here's how it turned out. It was one thing I was worried about, actually, with, you know, all of the competing flavours, because they're all quite interesting. I was a bit a bit worried about whether maybe one would overshadow the other or they wouldn't work together, but they're all dancing together really well. Like, they're just, yeah, they, they're very cohesive. That was our first ever collaborative brew, so it's fantastic that it turned out so well. This week, we want to explore old beer. Now, we're not on about that crappy corner shop can that's been sitting in the back of your cupboard for ages. That is probably long since past it, and you really should think about throwing it away now. We mean deliberately aged beer. Beer that's been lovingly looked after for months and months, sometimes even years, until it's developed really unique and complex flavours. Before we could have a go at brewing our own aged beer, we sat down with Tash to taste some great examples and tried to work out exactly how we can get some of those complex flavours into our beer without waiting months to release this episode. (laughs) Hello Tash, welcome back. Hello, lovely to see you guys yet again. Seems rude. rude. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's really lovely to see you guys. (laughs) Thank you. And we've got a couple of exciting beers to share with you. So the first one is Siren American Oak Brown, which is an American brown ale spun on oak. On the back of the label, it says, uh, an English classic gets the stateside treatment. To finish it off in style, we've spun the beer on oak spirals using our Spinbot. And Spinbot has a capital S and a capital B, so I assume it's a thing. Uh, And dry hopped with mosaic. So I guess this is an example of doing an oak-aged beer 
and not spending six to eight months or however long sort of labouring over it or putting it in a barrel. How long will this have been in touch with it, the oak, do you think? It doesn't, it doesn't say. Um, it, it says that it's been spun on oak spirals, which I would assume probably hasn't been done for more than a couple of days. We can assume that it's clean oak um, or, or, or new oak. Lots of nice oaky sweetness. I mean, I guess it doesn't taste quite as oaky as I was expecting, but then that's to be expected given the, the length of time. It does have quite a lot of sort of burnt, bittery kind of um, taste to it, but in like a, quite a, a nice way that complements that sort of dark fruitiness yeah. and some sweet spices and stuff. Mm. Nice. Do you see this a lot in like the modern brewing community? Yeah, I think so. I mean, a lot of breweries um, that have barrel-aged ranges have, have to either crowdfund them or gain investment. It's an expensive thing to do to, uh, to barrel-aged beers. Um, so I think you do see uh, smaller breweries that don't have that capacity for barrel-aging um, taking what they, what they can do um, and, and innovating around it. And they're not producing something that's exactly the same as a, as a barrel-aged beer, but they're producing something that has some of those complex, interesting flavours. Um, so it's definitely not something to be... You know, look down upon. It's it's purely a, a fact of of economics, really, for smaller breweries. So yeah, obviously we're going to have to do something like this method of oak, but for the purposes of tasting, we should definitely taste some longer aged beers. And um, Boovertown have got this really exciting project, and um, we were lucky enough to go to the launch of it. It's a collaboration project with Oscar Blues Brewery in America, and it's um, it's called the Tempest Project. And they're basically doing this uh, barrel aging range, and they gave us these two beers to take away, and they told us that they're for further bottle aging. We've had them for, I guess, just over a year now, so it's probably a nice time to open them, though obviously they could last longer. So this one is called Deimos Weizen Doppelbock. It is barrel-aged in Oloroso sherry barrels for eight months. Now, Lucy's a big sherry fan, so she really enjoyed our night. And I have to say, there was a lot of boozy stuff, including, you know, neat, very strong spirits to taste. (laughs) So um, my memory from the night is hazy. You'll be able to tell us exactly what it tasted like a year ago so we can compare it to today. Yeah, It's fucking delicious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Super. So, I mean, I'm quite excited, really. It's a bit of a momentous occasion. I've never stored any alcohol before. I've always just been a just-get-it-down-me, you know? Just a drinker. <laughs> <laughs> just speaking to the back of the label, the Doppelbock is a uh, dark lager. Um, the addition of Weissen uh, means that it's a wheat beer, so it's used a, a wheat beer yeast. Um, usually the most commonly barrel-aged beers are are very, very dark beers, so stouts and porters. Um, and because this is a double bock, because it is a lager, despite the fact that it's, it's dark and malty, it is still quite light in body. Mm. So you're used to getting, you know, like a real punch in the face with a, with a barrel-aged beer with this much going on. But I think the nice thing about it being having that lighter body is all of those other flavours can like dance quite easily on it so you can taste the alcohol but in a really nice way it's it's kind of sweet and nutty and the Doppelbock definitely like lends itself to this style of, of ageing which is which is brilliant. Even though we've done loads of tasting sessions recently and we've had a lot of beer that doesn't taste like beer and it's just exceptional it still sort of takes me, me back a little bit I'm like wow it's just so big and it's got so much going on there. Mm. I really like it it's lovely. Do you taste the sherry Lucy as a sherry connoisseur? I wasn't smelling it actually on the palate it has shitloads of flavour it's really really flavourful on the palate and um, yeah it doesn't taste at all like your average beer it does taste it tastes like a very rich sherry so it's Oloroso is a um, a richer style of sherry than some and it's quite oxidative so it's very nutty it's quite caramelly I think that really does come through a lot in this I think sherry barrels seem to give a really really nice flavour to beer Mm. so a good thing to do now is introduce the Phobos so it's the same base beer it's just been aged in a different sort of barrel so this is aged in Madeira barrels does smell different doesn't it it does like 
more sweetness off the sherry and more like dryness, more like tannins off the um, off the Madeira. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to say I enjoy the sherry a lot more than the Madeira. I got a lot more complexity on the sherry. This has been maybe a little self-indulgent of us. It's been a really nice experience to taste these beers, but we can't do something like this. It's got way too much complexity to it. So in a way, it's kind of sad that we've compared, you know, this Tempest Project to um, the Siren because, I mean, they're on different levels, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're two different styles of beer, arguably. But what we want to do is we want to be able to get that sort of oaky flavour into a beer that we can brew and you brew mm-hmm. in that kind of like, you know, innovative but cheats in inverted commas kind of way yeah. um so what do you suggest we do for our base beer something dark i would think so yeah I, i'd say let's go dark and boozy um perhaps we could go kind of like an, an imperial stout cool yeah. and then in terms of the oak mm-hmm. stuff i know that obviously you really like sherry is there anything else you might want to play with in terms of like flavors i like the flavors of oak a lot i would like to experiment with sherry <laughs> um if we can get our hands on something that tastes like sherry how do we go about doing that actually um, so either we can get try and get our hands on a sherry barrel, which seems improbable. Um, we can soak oak chips in sherry, or um, the third option is potentially trying to get some oak chips that have come from a sherry barrel. We tasted some exceptional beers there. The Siren was a really great example of an oaky beer made with speed, but we have to say if you can get your hands on a really interesting oak-aged beer that's been ageing away in a proper barrel slowly for months and months, it really will blow your mind. To us, aged beer is a relatively new concept, but as we learned at the beginning of this season, people have been doing it for hundreds of years. Andrew Cooper, co-founder of Wild Beer, told us back in episode one of this season that he was hugely influenced by traditional Belgian breweries who make really complex slow beer. So, whilst Lucy scoured the internet in search of sherry barrel chips, I Skyped Belgian beer sommelier and expert Sophie van Raffelham. Sophie runs a team of beer sommeliers who work with hotels, restaurants and supermarkets all over the world to provide training, beer menus, new beer concepts and so on. She's also just launched a beer magazine in Belgium and is currently organising a huge beer and food festival across Europe, but somehow still managed to find the time to talk to us. I asked Sophie whether she thought being born and growing up in Belgium influenced her love of beer. Yes, it has, definitely. That's why I fell in love with beer, because here it's not just a drink, it's the whole world. It's, uh, it's the stories, it's the history, it's the culture, it's the experience, it's everything. But truth is, eight years ago, I didn't drink any beer. Oh, wow. So I'm not your typical beer expert who can tell a story about how they've been working with beer for 10, 20 years or how they grew up with beer. Yeah. I don't have any stories like that at all. My parents and my family only drank wine. So uh, I got to know beer when I was studying. And yeah, the lagers were okay, but I was really impressed by the specialty beers. And I was hooked. I thought it was such a beautiful drink, such an underestimated drink. I just followed my passion. I just followed what what interested me. Like I was getting annoyed by prejudices about women in beer. And I said, uh, instead of getting annoyed all the time, I could change it. I could start a positive project about it. And we actually changed the view on women and beer in a lot of breweries. So that's actually the story. But now 
I think that's my biggest accomplishment. I convinced my parents of enjoying <laughs> beer. <laughs> it's really interesting that you say you weren't sort of like born into this beer culture because whenever we talk to people, particularly the UK brewers that we talk to, they always say, you know, they were really inspired by Belgian breweries and that uh, that you guys basically sort of dominate this brewing culture. In this episode, we're exploring aged beer. So could you talk us through the traditions of um, aging beer in Belgium? It's true that... A lot of beers in Belgium have a long maturation and also you have the re-fermentation in the bottle, so that takes time as well. I think it's just a typical thing for Belgians, like Belgians are really, really stubborn (laughs) and that was beneficial, but it was also a downfall. So beneficial, why? Because of our stubbornness, we still have these old beer styles. (laughs) We still have the old gooses and the lambics, the way we actually used to make it 100 years ago. What is a lambic, actually? Just in case any of our listeners don't know, could you describe sort of the the process of making them and and the flavour as well? Um, Well, a lambic is actually a, a wheat beer. So it's made with at least 30% wheat and uh, there's the wort. It's put into an open cooler. So you really get a spontaneous fermentation. And that means literally the wild yeasts jump in and uh, there's a feast for them of sugars to eat and to, to produce alcohol and carbonation. So after that, the water is put into the oak barrels where the lambic rests. And then it takes several months to really get this fermentation really going. But it's a strong yeast, so it works for several months and several years. So slowly but surely, all the sugars will disappear and you get a sharp, sour, dry beer. And the Lambic is special just to Belgium? Yes, well, it originated here. And for as far as I know, uh, it hasn't been recreated in the same way as we make Lambic here. Many have tried And you have a lot of beautiful sour ales as well in the world. But for me, they're no match for the Belgian old gooses. You get more character, you get more complexity, you get all kinds of sourness. And we really, really are careful of not creating vinegar, sour beers. And I think there are too many in the world right now who taste of vinegar. Just to get this balance just right, it's so important. Now, an old goose is a blend of lambic of different ages, so it's protected by Europe. Only when it meets certain criteria, it can be called an old goose. And the criteria are that there has to be a lambic, one year old at least, and the other lambic has to be three years old. So, And then they blend them together and you get a re-fermentation in the bottle of several months so it takes a long time to make an old goose. It actually costs more to make than to make a champagne. Wow. And it's actually, uh, if you look at the price, it's not, it's not reflected in the price in Belgium. Belgians don't realize it's worth enough. <laughs> really? Yes. It's good for beer lovers. It's not expensive to buy this, this, these amazing beers, but they're they're uh, underpriced people talk about trappist beers and abbey beers quite a lot um can you tell me what they are yes um a trappist beer is an abbey beer but not every abbey beer is trappist beer okay sounds complicated (laughs) (laughs) well 
The thing is, um, the criteria to be called a Trappist beer are the beer has to be brewed within the walls of a monastery. So it literally means that because you have also like a Trappist beer, Mondecat, and it's brewed in Chimay because the monks don't have the money for their own brewing installation, but they can't have the label because it's not within their roles. Second one is it has to be brewed by monks or supervised by monks. So in the most Trappist breweries, it's not the monks that brew the beer, but they still supervise. At three, all the money has to be invested, all the profits has to be invested in the community of the abbey or in the abbey itself. And if there's some money left, they have to donate it to charity. Wow. So it's quite strict as mm. well. And then you have some unwritten rules as well. Um, they have to respect the life dedicated to God. Like the beer can never be more important than that. So everything has to be in line with the serenity of the community. So you'll never see an advertisement of a, a Trappist beer with a, a sexy picture. I wouldn't say they have a longer maturation than other Belgian beers. But I must say that all the Belgian Trappist beers for me have a really high level of quality and uh, they maintain this, this these standards as well. But the thing is, even the big beers like uh, Duvel, we, um, it takes 90 days to make a Duvel and it has a really strong and full body and it has a high alcohol percentage. Well, alcohol percentage is for Belgians fairly normal, <laughs> but um, I know for the rest of the world, it's quite high. Yeah. But for us, six to eight percent is fairly normal. But to have that full body, to have that alcohol percentage, but mostly to have so many flavors in that beer, you have to give it time. It's an extra ingredient. If you take shortcuts, you will taste it. And there are some beers in the world who have taken these shortcuts mm. and you definitely taste those. And the beer lovers and beer community doesn't drink these beers. Is there a certain amount of time that you can carry on aging it in the bottle or should you really be drinking it when you buy it? Well, most beers that are sold are sold to drink immediately, first of all. Um, you can age beers at home, but people often think you can age any beers. That's not true at all. Most beers you have to drink immediately. What beers do, would you recommend people age? The lower the alcohol percentage is, the less long you can keep them. Even dark beers, it depends, but it's between two to five years. And then you have the um, old Flemish brown sour ales. You can keep them for 10, 15 years and they evolve really beautifully. You can even get hints of uh, Madeira, port and uh, complexity you, you can't have without aging them. And then the old gurses, you can keep them for 20, even 40 years. When we got married, we bought a lot of gurses as well, specialty gurses. I'm now keeping them 25 years. Wow, that's great. And where are you storing these? Well, I, ha I had to keep sure that I wasn't going to touch them. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we have like a second cellar. Uh, we keep 
locked, so I can't easily reach them. So uh, just me, like an average person, if I want to age a bottle, I can't really just keep it in my kitchen cupboard for 25 years? No, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, and also you have to have two things. You have the constant temperature and it has to be dark. Beer doesn't tolerate warmth or light very well. That's why we bottle our beers in dark bottles. And that's why if you take a pint and you put it into the sun for a half an hour and you take it back inside, what does it smell like? It smells like cat pee. <laughs> yeah, it's not nice. <laughs> no, and that's, that's because of the hops. But you, you have to keep beer in a dark place with a constant temperature Ooh. to age it for a long time. So what's the oldest beer you've ever tried? 40 years old. 40? Yes, and it was an old Goese, you know, brewery bone of the old Goese bone. And uh, we found a bottle in someone's cellar. He was going to throw it away. But mm-hmm. <laughs> no, please. Mm-hmm. And um, we could rescue it. And the cork ha- was almost gone. Mm. But the beer was really nice. Really beautifully sour, still elegant. And what what would the difference be there? So from tasting it at 40 years to tasting it when it was first brewed, how much more different would the flavour be because of that age? Well, it's difficult to say because old goose is a bit like wine. Every year is a bit different. Every vintage is a bit different. But in the beginning, you will have even more fruitiness like green apples and so on, even more fruity aromas. You have a strong carbonation still that that lessens over the years. Some of them evolve in a mellow sourness and other ones evolve in a sharp, even more sharp sourness. So that depends. Hmm. So just so I've got this right, the sort of old beer styles that you see quite often in Belgium are old gozers, lambics and a Flemish brown, did you say? Yes, old Flemish brown ales. And do a lot of those make their way over to the UK? Like if our listeners wanted to go and try and get this beer, are they quite readily available or is it very specific to where you are? I think a lot of the old gooses are available in, in most beer shops in the UK. So old goose bone is really uh, a really nice one. And then the old goose three fontaines, it means three fountains. A beautiful one, beautiful story as well, has been here for a very long time. And then in the old Flemish brown sour ales, there's one really famous one, uh, Rodenbach. Mm, I've heard of that. But yeah, that's a, that's a great one, especially the Grand Cru and the Rodenbach vintage. Normally, it's easily available as well. Would you say in um, Belgium that like old beers and aged beers are, are a bit mainstream? Because I think in the UK, it's very much still like a beer geek thing. You know, not many people know about it. Not many people are drinking it. Is it more mainstream in, in Belgium? No, no, no. It's still a lot for the beer lovers, beer geeks. Um, Even with that tradition of like aged lambics and stuff though? Oh, yes. The thing is, we almost lost oral lambics and gozes. Um, thing you have to remember about Belgium, although we are quite unique and amazing in culture, <laughs> a lot of Belgians are like my family was. Mm. They drink wine. But the thing is, the Belgians take their beer for granted. So we're so used to Duvel being great in flavor. We're so used to all these beers and the Lambics and the Old Goose. It has taken us so much years to rediscover it. It's only in the last 15 years that Belgians are starting to rediscover it. 
we work in so many different countries, but the country I have the most work to do is my own. So yes, we, we uh, with the Brews Association created a campaign to be proud of our beers. Mm. And you would think this is absurd. Why should a Belgian not be proud of his beers? Mm. But this was really necessary to show them the whole world loves our beers. Let's start by becoming proud again as well. And instead of sipping the French wine all the time, let's start to crack open the old goose with the meals. Sophie was a great guest and I really liked talking to her. You can find out more about Belgian beer and Sophie herself by visiting her website, sophiesworld.be. That's Sophie with an F, not with a PH. After the break, we talk to a Scottish brewery who are making oak-aged beer on a big scale, using a very innovative method. We Made a Beer is brought to you by, well, just us actually. It's produced, presented and funded by our good selves. This season though, we're working alongside Honest Brew, our favourite online beer service, to make the beers we talk about in this show more accessible to you. We use Honest Brew to get brewery-fresh craft beer delivered directly to our door, so we've always got some tasty drinks chilling in the fridge. We've partnered with Honest Brew for a limited time to offer you a fantastic mix case. The We Made a Beer case contains 12 great beers that have been either brewed or recommended to us by Season 2's podcast guests, or that have just inspired this series. And if that wasn't enough of a treat, we can get you a whopping £10 off your first order using the coupon code We Made a Beer. Use it to get the We Made a Beer case or to just expand your beer tasting horizons. To recap, go to honestbrew.co.uk, spend over £30 and use the code We Made a Beer at checkout for £10 off. Check out the episode description in your podcast player for the full T's and C's. Happy drinking! Many moons ago now, at a foodie festival in Edinburgh, I tried some samples of barrel finished beer from Innocent Gun. These got me really excited. A few years later, Lou had her first sip of their barrel-aged beer in a small-town Weatherspoons pub. The huge bang of Moorish oaky flavours really made the beer stand out. Innocent Gun is a really unique Scottish brewery. Their core range is full of oak-aged beers, and despite being a relatively young business, they've managed to get their flavoursome beers into the mainstream. For us, this is fantastic, as they've managed to get this great oaky flavour into more people's mouths. We Skyped Dougal Gun Sharp, one half of Innocent Gun, and asked him to talk us through the happy accident that led to the formation of the company. I started in the beer industry when I was 14, when Dad bought a brewery in Edinburgh, and I was sort of there and on my school holidays, and I sort of worked my way up. And while I was head brewer there, this big spirits company got in touch to say that they wanted to make uh, an ale-finished whisky. And in order for them to make it, they needed beer, um, which they wanted to use to flavour the inside of, uh, of barrels. And so we had a, a long, hard think about the type of beer that we would try and brew for them. And we settled on a Scotch ale style. So it's traditional Scottish style, but quite high alcohol and lots of lovely multi characteristics. And we sent that in a road tanker to them. They filled it into um, B1's first full bourbon barrels. And the beer kind of soaked into the wood and seasoned these barrels with flavour. And so they started buying all this beer from us. And 
you know, the beer was supposed to be a, a sort of byproduct. Once it treated these barrels, it was supposed to be getting poured away. But the workers in the distillery <laughs> didn't like to see good beer go to waste. Who does? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, obvious now, you know, at the time. So were you literally not expecting this at all? Were you weren't no. expecting the beer to taste the way it does? No. No, I mean, until that point, I mean, we were we were brewing big hoppy IPAs um, for the Cascale market in Scotland and the UK. So it wasn't it wasn't really a style that was on my radar. But we got a barrel sent back of this waste product and this this waste beer, and we put it on our taste panel, and everyone on the taste panel gave it nine out of nine, mm-hmm. and that had never Sorry, happened. out of nine. Is that the rule? Yes. <laughs> Interesting. Mm-hmm. Why yeah. not ten? Only God gets a 10. Um, So I thought, oh, wow, you know, I've got to do something with this. Mm. And to cut a long story short, I went and spoke to the distillery company who were making the whiskey. And I said, I think we can do something with this beer that, you know, it's just a byproduct of your process. And after they tasted it, they they agreed with me. So in 2003, we launched Innocent Gun. So the sole purpose of Innocent Gun was to do this sort of barrel-aged beer? Well, yeah, it was in in the early stages. We focused very much on what is our flagship beer, Innocent Gun Original. And we would do annually a limited edition, but it was all barrel-aged in those days. You know, that's just, we, we discovered this incredible process for making beer in a way that, you know, nobody else was really doing in the UK at that time. And we thought, well, what else could we do? You know, we got wine barrels and sherry barrels. And actually, one of the first and most successful that we ever did, we actually got a hold of a load of old rum barrels. And rum barrels are incredibly rare because they tend to be reused over and over and over again by the rum companies. So they never really tend to get rid of them. Mm. But we managed to get a, a very small batch. It was so successful, so popular. People loved it so much that it ended up becoming part of our core range. And you can still buy it today. I mean, we've changed the way we make it slightly just because rum barrels are very difficult to get. But, yeah. but it's very much true to the original flavour. The use of barrels and oak has been a theme of Innocent Gun ever since then because we just found this incredible process to make beers with these amazing flavours. And till you've tried a barrel-aged beer like Innocent Gun, you've just no idea what it tastes like. And, and, and it, I mean, genuinely, they are a massive flavour shock to your mm, to your yeah. palate because, you know, we're all used to drinking beer. We all know what beer tastes like. You go to a pub and you have pints of lager or IPA or, you know, porters, and they've all got a lovely flavour. But there's just something extra yeah. Yeah. that you get when you when you use uh, oak barrels. And, you know, they're full of flavours like vanilla and toffee. And the, the oak tends to mellow the, you know, like a good wine. It, it rounds the flavour and mellows it. And it just changes it in so many good ways that it, it's such a wonderful thing to do. And to this day, it is still one of the most satisfying things about what we do as a business is standing opposite somebody who's never tried a barrel-aged beer before uh, or an innocent gun and you sample them on it and you just see they, they try it and there's a, a look of shock on their face and there's this massive smile <laughs> suddenly appears and they, they start to go oh my god that's amazing and you know I just think to be part of that journey for somebody on in their sort of taste experience is a real privilege mm-hmm. and it's, it's what gets us out of bed you know. How important is the, the actual quality of the flavour of like the base beer? Do you want something that's maybe a bit neutral so that it's going to take on more of that oak or actually do you go and put a really good pour in an oak barrel for example that's a really good question and and it's actually it's part of the overall secret of this process is that you we kind of need to brew the beer that's going to work with the flavors that you're going to get from the wood and so in the case of 
our rum finished beer, we, we want to have quite a big, robust flavor there in the base beer, which is then complemented by you get, you know, the, the, the flavors of the rum itself is big and it's quite bold. And the overall effect works. I think if we were to, you know, if we were to brew something maybe a bit lighter with those rum flavors, I'm just not sure it would work quite as well. Roughly how long do they stay in the barrel before they're bottled? Those um, the kind of the rum finished one, for example. Um, surprisingly little time. When we do barrel aging, it tends to vary between, I would say, five to 20 days. It, it doesn't need a lot of time because there's only so far the beer can actually penetrate the wood. Mm. And the longer we find, the longer you leave it, the greater the risk that the beer will just simply spoil. Mm. Oak barrels are very much unlike, you know, what the rest of a brewery is made of. You know, breweries are stainless steel and they're... They're like operating theatres. They're hygienic and very clean and, and and barrels are just not like that at all. And so there's always the risk that when you put beer in a barrel, it's going to go off. And we tend to find that the sort of optimum time of flavour extraction tends to sit somewhere between five and 20 days. I was actually reading on the website that um, you've invented this kind of jazzy tool and it's called the Ocarator. Apologies if I pronounced that wrong. But yeah, I was just wondering if you could talk us through what that is. Yeah, I mean, well, actually, I mean, the origins of the Ocarator are that I bought the business out of William Grant's, the the distilling company that we went into business with originally. And in doing so, we, between us, agreed that there would be a number of oak barrels that they would allow me to fill on an annual basis in the distillery. And that was 15,000. And I thought, well, you know, this this is going to last me forever. 15,000 oak barrels, a lot of barrels. And actually, by the end of the first year following the buyout, we were approaching that level. We just had a massive surge in sales. And, you know, we're faced with a very difficult choice. How do we satisfy the demand from all these people who want to drink this style of beer, but but we don't have the oak barrels to do it. And yeah. so we set about looking at how we could faithfully replicate the flavour using other techniques. And we ended up working with the very famous brewing university, uh, Harriet Watt, in Edinburgh, to construct a piece of equipment that would allow us to do that. And in, in essence, instead of our original processes, what, what we would do is put beer into barrels um, in this ocarator process, which we created, we put the barrel into the beer. So we take mm, a clever. bourbon barrel or a rum barrel and we actually turn it into uh, small pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we put them in the ocarator and we circulate the beer through it. And in that way, we get the same flavour, but we need fewer barrels. So the, the plus point of this is that you can make more beer and that you can offer this out to loads of people. But were there sort of like, I don't know, purists in the early days that kind of, I don't know, do they think of this as cheating or has it always been seen as quite a positive new way of brewing? Yeah, I mean, I think there were some questions asked, but I mean, in the main, people were very positive because this is genuine innovation. Mm. You know, we, we looked at an issue that we had and we found a way to overcome it in a way which delivered an amazing outcome for, for for drinkers, which is that the beer tastes every bit as good. Mm. I, you know, I think anyone that I've ever described the Ocarator and the, and the, the evolution of it and the way that we, we arrived at the solution, everyone loves it. Mm. You know, I think there's genuine excitement that a tiny little company in Scotland has, has created this, this way of barrel aging, which is, you know, it's 21st century. Yeah. 
So the actual barrels themselves that you sort of break into pieces, are they the same barrels that you would be using normally? Or do you kind of yeah. season up um, barrels? No, they're the, same, they're the same barrels. You know, we feel in a very privileged and lucky position that through, you know, a perseverance and time, we've, we've, we've created a, a range of different production options for the business that, that means that we can make all these different styles. And, and we use the Ocarator for some beers and, and we, we barrel age for others. It, it really depends on the style that we're trying to create. Because you have some like limited releases, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I mean, a very good example of that. You know, we got in the barrel store, which is our on-site barrel warehouse. It's just full of oak barrels, maturing quietly away. You know, we've got an imperial stout that's been in there for nearly twelve months. It's just amazing. You know, sort of eleven percent. You know. F- it's been in bourbon barrels for that time. And then we've got refill barrels full of this wonderful um, raspberry saison that we're just we're slow maturing. And things change when you do long maturations in oak. What we tend to find for things like Innocent Gun Original, a short maturation time is good. Whereas for some of our bigger, fuller flavoured and more uh, limited releases, you tend to find that longer maturations can be of real benefit. So is the idea that once it's bottled, it is ready to drink or are there any of your beer that actually develop more in bottle? It, again, it's another sort of weird twist of the barrel aging story that when we barrel age and then we bottle the beer, for some weird reason, all the oak flavour just disappears mm. for about a month after it's in bottle. So what we actually have to do for anything that's either ochrated or barrel aged is that we have to keep it in the warehouse for at least a month mm-hmm. until that oak flavour returns. It's, it just goes away and then comes back. And, and I've talked to wine experts that say, oh, similar things happen yeah, in wine. Where, bottle shock. <laughs> bottle shock, is that what it's called? Yeah. Do you know, I've never heard that expression before. It's really interesting. Or, you know, I've heard it described as an unfortunate phase where you get a great wine and suddenly it just drops off a cliff for a year and it comes back. I wondered, because all of your beers are barrel-aged and you're using the um, ochreator, how do you make sure that each batch has that same oaky sort of flavour? When we were 100% barrel-aged, consistent was a real problem because every barrel is different and you could have barrels that were made by the same cooperage from the same oak tree uh, manufactured on the same day that had the same spirit in them you know all that stuff and you put them side by side fill them a beer and they'd both taste completely different and so consistency in the early days was always a challenge because we always had to blend different barrels to get the right sort of mix of flavors in the finished product with the ochreator we've taken a lot of that risk out because the oak that we're buying is much more consistent and so we're always sort of striving to get the absolute best flavor outcome for our for our drinkers for our fans so the ochreator was a big step forward for us in terms of making sure that every bottle of innocent gun was was as delicious as the last one big thanks to dougal for chatting to us definitely put in a modern twist on aged beer. At the beginning of this episode, we attempted to brew our own aged beer. We had neither the time nor the expertise to attempt anything as complicated as what the traditional Belgian breweries are doing. However, we could take some influence from the Innocent Gun style and infuse a beer with oak. In the end, we left our Oloroso sherry barrel chips in the beer for just two weeks before packaging it, so we weren't totally confident on how much oak or how much sherry flavour we'd get into the final beer. Here's how it turned out. Okay, so on a scale of 1 to 10, please can you place your level of excitement to try this beer that is brewed with the little sherry oak chips that you so lovingly stalked the internet for? I'm going to put it at about a a 10. 
one. Is that 10 being the highest or 10 being the lowest? <laughs> 10, out, 10 out of 17. Class, right? as always, 10 is the lowest. <laughs> <laughs> Just sniff the microphone instead of the beer. <laughs> anyway, let's have a second go at that. Oh. Mmm. <laughs> Smells good, huh? Yeah, kind of caramelly, pruney. Yeah, I get, I get dried fruits, pruned, fig and stuff. There's a lot of banana. So, is the old dried fruit, fig and stuff, and banana coming from the the sherry? Is that what you normally taste when you have sherry? Um, Yeah, and this was like an Oloroso sherry as well, which is made with lots of oxygen, and over time it gives lots of dried fruit flavours and caramelly kind of oxidative flavours as well. This is our most boozy one, 8.2%. But sometimes when it's really boozy, it's quite sort of like thick and viscous, and it's not like that, is it? No, um, it's, yeah, the body is potentially the only thing that's a little bit lacking. Um, I think we've probably, uh, we've drunk it a little bit too cold, which will, uh, so a little bit more warmth would, would help with that. Um, yeah, it's not thick and syrupy and viscous um, because it is still quite a young beer. Uh, yeah, I think the alcohol, like, I can taste the booziness, but I like it because it just reminds me of sherry, which is kind of boozy. Yeah, it's one to sip. We left our chips in for two weeks, which obviously isn't the sort of six months or however many months that some people tend to do. So I'm quite surprised that this tastes as oaky and sort of sherry-infused as it does, in a way. Yeah, well, the reason that it, we've got that is because we're using chips rather than a barrel, massively increased surface area. The fact that they're sherry oak chips, so you're getting both the sherry and the oak. Um, yeah, no, we uh, we got a lot out of that. It was uh, pretty time efficient, really. Would you be happy to have your name on this and for people to come into Ubrew and to purchase said beer? Absolutely. I am very excited for people to come into Ubrew and purchase this beer. It's, yeah, no, I think you guys should be very proud of this. It's delicious. Don't give us the credit. Oh, no, no. I think we should be very proud of this. We just do the ideas, you know. You do all the hard stuff. Down the hatch. Can we cheers with this one because it's so I think delightful? It's rude that we didn't do it earlier, isn't it? Delicious. We ended up with a rich and moorish beer which we're dead chuffed with for our first dabble into oak. If we could take the whole keg home with us, we would. Sadly, we can't, as it's going on the taps at Ubrew Bermondsey this coming weekend. If you manage to taste our sherry oak stout, let us know your thoughts by getting in touch on Twitter or Instagram at We Made a Beer. And if you fancy having a go at brewing your own beer, you can. Ubrew are offering We Made a Beer podcast listeners 20% off brew courses with the code WMAB20. As in, we made a beer 20 next week is our final episode of this season and we've got two fantastic guests lined up we meet garrett oliver brewmaster at brooklyn brewery and sarah warman head of task force at brewdog before we go here's another reminder that we've partnered up with honestbrew.co.uk to help you get your hands on some of the beers mentioned in this podcast use the code we made a beer or one word at checkout to get 10 pounds off your first beer order if you like this podcast, please do leave us a review and share us with your friends. Reviewing the programme really helps us to move up the charts in your podcast player and makes us visible to more people. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. Bye-bye. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Bye. Bye. <laughs>